0: I don't mean to brag, but there are probably few people in the world who have consumed as much Mountain Dew as I have. It's my beverage of choice wherever I go, and I consider myself quite the connoisseur. That being said, I also appreciate the allure of a good Mellow Yellow. It brings a slightly different flavor profile while maintaining a level of familiarity that I find most pleasing. So while there are some purists out there that decry Mellow Yellow as a cheap knockoff, I do not count myself among them, but given my choice, I'll take Mountain Dew every time. These hierarchies exist all through the vast wasteland that is American junk food. For every Dr. Pepper, there's a Mr. Pibb. For every Mr. Pibb, there's a Dr. Thunder. Pringles have Prongles, though that doesn't really count because Prongles are an intentional parody of Pringles, whereas Pringles are an accidental parody of potato chips. And then you have the Oreos versus Hydrox situation, which is probably the most relevant to the conversation at hand, because Hydrox actually came out first, and then Oreos came along, and now most people have never even heard of Hydrox, even though it's still in production. You can go buy some Hydrox right now, but you're not going to. Why would you? Oreos are right there. I say with all the love in my heart that a sizable portion of 80s movies can be included in the vast wasteland of American junk food. And within that category, I would call today's film the Hydrox cookie to Top Gun's Oreo, but that would be unfair to Hydrox, as Hydrox is at least reasonably safe for human consumption. It's probably not a big reveal that I did not much care for this movie. Somewhere in the churning quagmire of depression, anxiety, paranoia, and narcissism that is my psyche, I'm pretty convinced that this won the listener choice poll because there was a malicious conspiracy to force me to sit through it. I can't prove it, but if I could, I'd honestly be kind of impressed. That takes some careful planning and coordination. I mean, it's not as impressive as a ragtag group of teenagers stealing F-16s from a military base and then flying them across an entire ass ocean to commit an act of war against a sovereign nation. But the 80s were just a different time. And I'm sure there is some strange breed of hipster out there dipping his Hydrox cookies into a sizzling glass of Pib-Extra, arguing that Top Gun is actually the inferior movie. But when you're in the mood for an action packed but light hearted military aviation movie from 1986 with an iconic soundtrack and thrilling aerial cinematography, you should probably just go for the Oreos. They're right there. War is hell. People make films about it, and we love to talk about them. So hop in your simulator, strap on your tape deck, and crank up the tunes with a Marine veteran, a film critic, and a theater director. As we discuss why on earth, out of all of the options available, the audience would have decisively voted for... Iron Eagle.
1: (laughs)
2: it in it's danger close welcome back everyone to danger close a war film podcast my name is dan and i'm here with my partners katie and liam and today we are here to talk about a 1986 fighter jet film that was released in the same year as top gun called iron eagle And Katie's here to start us off with the mission briefing.
1: I don't know if I should feel attacked or complimented by this audience choice episode. I am not shy about how much I love bad movies, so I'm choosing to interpret the poll results in the most generous way possible, in that everyone just wanted to watch some fun jet fighter footage. Upon its release, shortly before the much more successful Top Gun, Iron Eagle was met with derision by critics except, oddly enough, by Janet Maslin with the New York Times, who was pretty generous with her praise. Everyone else, however, pointed out its jingoism and outrageous over-the-top plot, with the only universal compliment being for Louis Gossett Jr.'s performance as the retired Colonel Charles Sinclair, or Chappy for short. The film went on to spawn four sequels somehow, and this was certainly the most well-received of all of them. We don't watch a lot of truly bad films, but this is definitely the most 80s direct-to-video movie we have watched so far, despite it having a theatrical release. Have you guys had much experience with this type of movie? You mean bad? I mean something that spawns a whole direct-to-video legacy. that Something that is shown on TV, on like TBS, late at night or on the weekends. Because I would guess that's where the majority of folks watch Mm. this. What I like to call filler TV.
2: Right. We discussed this a little bit offline before we started recording, but I'm curious, do you guys know if, because they made three sequels to this, so there's four Iron Eagle movies at least. Did those go direct to video or did those get a theatrical release? Because they seem to like have worse and worse critical reviews. So I'm like just guessing that they went straight to video.
1: 2 and 3 got released in the box office and the fourth one was direct to video and I almost can't believe that because only in the 80s only in the 80s <laughs>
2: Oh, you mean you can't believe that the other ones made it to the theaters? Not that yes. the fourth one went straight to video.
1: <laughs> no, no, the fourth one, all of them.
2: See, in my mind, I was like, I can't believe they gave up on the fourth one at this point. You're in for a <laughs> penny, in for a pound. You might as well just throw it in there. <laughs> Give it a shot.
1: All of them. Should have gone direct-to-video. Be
2: eligible for the Academy Award, at least. I mean, you don't want to throw that out the window. Yeah, no, I mean, you gotta... <laughs> Lewis
1: Gossett Jr. was like, I'm gonna make it one day with this. I
2: scrolled down IMDb and I was like, I can't find the awards section. I'm like, wow, they didn't even bother to say awards none. It's just like, there is no section.
1: And they, they pumped these out pretty quick. I mean, within like every two you to think? three years, they were making another Iron Eagle movie. It's like
0: Batman reboots. I don't know if I've told you guys the story about the best Sunday that I've ever spent in my life. Not like the, the ice cream Sunday, but like a day of the week Sunday. Do tell. So the best Sunday I've ever had, it was my freshman year of college and I was blowing off a major project that was due the next day. Like you do. I just decided I wasn't doing it because I was a terrible student. One of my friends in the theater department who was a senior and lived in the nice housing on campus, it was like this nice little suite of apartments with a kitchen and everything, he was in a similar position. He had a major project that was due the next day that he had also decided he was not going to do. And so we sat in his apartment and drank beer. I believe it was Killian's Irish Red. We made like four boxes of Kraft mac and cheese. And just sat there on his couch, drinking beer, eating craft dinner out of the pot, and watching Missing in Action 3 that was showing <laughs> on television. Okay. <laughs> I'd never seen the movie before, and I'll never watch it again. But like, we were just sitting there, and it just felt very comfortable.
2: Like, had you even seen one and two, or no, you went straight to the No, they were no, having a no. marathon,
0: and we just turned it on, and it was on three. Who's yeah. the lead of this? I can't. Chuck Norris. Yes.
2: Oh, Chuck Norris. of okay. the missing it, in
0: action series. You have mentioned this story, but I am glad to revisit
2: it. It oh. and
0: that is the best Sunday I've ever spent in my life, where I was just sitting there, shitty mac and cheese, middling shitty beer, and a shitty ass movie, blowing off all of my responsibilities on a sunny Sunday afternoon, and it was great. I don't step on toes, little John. Step on next. Out of that context, I have never and will never watch any of the missing in action movies for as long as I live.
1: Uh, Good choice. You've made a good choice in that. But
0: that's about as close as I've come to intentionally watching a movie like this. This was an experience for me.
2: I mean, again, trying to avoid the cliche of constantly comparing this to Top Gun because it came out a few months later. This reminded me most of Damnation Alley, which if you're on our Patreon, that was, I think, our very, is our second episode that Mike D'Angelo slid by us. And it's the reason why he's not allowed to pick movies anymore, because that was such a dumpster fire of a movie. Fucking George Papard.
1: We'll never forgive him for this.
2: Yeah. I think I mostly thought of it because I was like, uh, watching this, I was like, mm. Still better than Damnation Alley, and not everyone here agrees with me, but I, again, the <laughs> plot in that one was just so convoluted and the editing was so bad that, yeah, I, but anyways, to answer Katie's question, I don't know that I've seen a lot of direct-to-TV stuff that I can think of, so yeah, I kind of know what you're talking about, but I don't have a lot of experience with
0: it. Was Boondock Saints direct a video? I don't think so. Are you sure? Because I I feel like that one got shunted to the side when the direct writer director exploded.
2: I feel like the second one might have been
1: direct to video.
0: Because I think Boondock Saints, like Harvey Weinstein, buried it because the director got uppity with him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is a great direct to video cult film, apparently.
0: Yep. That's what I thought. It did not have a theatrical release. That's the only other direct to video movie I've watched on purpose.
1: That's wild. So I'm in the minority here, because I I can't tell you how many direct-to-video TV movies I have watched over the years, both purposefully and just for funsies, because I I love that shit on one level, and I can identify one that is truly enjoyable and worth watching for its just off-the-wall craziness, and one that's just like, eh, not enough.
0: Well, and are we talking about a movie that they meant to go to theaters and it failed to go to theaters? And so they put it direct to video or like, what is the what is the 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 backstory here? Because there are plenty of made for TV movies that I've really enjoyed.
1: Right. Right. And so typically when you are making a movie, you are making it. Either for theatrical release mm-hmm. or for, now we would call it streaming release or whatever. But let's go back to the 80s when there was a huge difference between TV, film, TV movies, all that stuff. And either you made your movie for a theatrical release or you didn't. There was no in-between. There wasn't like, if you failed to make the movie, it didn't then usually go to direct to video. It just wouldn't get made
0: because I could see something being like you, you know you make it for a studio and they're like we're not going to spend the money to actually send this on film out to all of these theaters. We're going to cut our losses, put it out on a VHS and just do it that, that way. That
1: is not usually how it went in the 80s. That it, it that could have been later on, but in when this was made, which was 1986, and it got it started production in 1984. Back then, like the home video market was Fairly new, really up and coming. There wasn't a whole lot of faith in it because it was so expensive to make these kinds of things on VHS. Like the VHS tapes themselves at this point were like 50 bucks. And a lot of times you were just selling them to the rental market
0: well, and the the VCRs were prohibitively expensive as well.
1: yes, yes. So a lot of times what you were doing when you would make these direct videos in this in these early days was you were selling them to the rental market, and then people who could afford to pay like a hundred dollars for a videotape who are then going to rent it out, you know. 40, 50, 60, whatever times. That's what you were aiming for with the very early direct-to-video market, which is probably why they tried to aim for theatrical release in the first few sequels to this. Because it wasn't really until the 90s where direct-to-video, as in, like, you are selling directly to the consumer, became a thing.
2: Does this kind of explain why, back in the day... When we used to go to Blockbuster on a Friday night, and they used to have all the multiple copies of the same film, right? And you had to, like, grab one. Otherwise, it meant it was rented out. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, the really popular films would have a ton of copies on the shelves. But one thing I always noticed, and Liam, maybe you guys have mentioned this on FrightBub, is that there was always a new, usually creature horror film that I was like, This has to be garbage because I've never heard of it. But there is always a new giant snake, giant octopus, giant shark film. And I'm like, is that why? It's because it was just made for that kind of market and they could upsell it to the stores and then the stores would rent it to stoners who wanted to
0: just watch something dumb. Is that how it works? Yeah, they they figured out the formula there. Got it.
1: And this is where my knowledge (laughs) comes in uh, quite a lot because I have read the Full Moon Entertainment history, which is... A surprisingly thick book, uh, oh. which Full Moon Entertainment, for those of you who don't know, was created almost as a direct-to-video production company. The most popular things they've made have been uh, Reanimator. Stuart Gordon was heavily involved with Full Moon Entertainment.
0: But I mean, like Reanimator's out on Criterion Blu-ray now, like so that's some legit shit there.
1: Right. Right. That's Stuart Gordon, so but he also did things like Castle Freak and a lot of other Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton films. But Full Moon Entertainment, that was kind of their goal. And they came around very late 80s, early 90s. And most of those movies are made like in Italy or in Romania or something like that, where the production costs are minimal and they are spending a hundred thousand dollars to make a movie. And then
0: it's like the spaghetti Westerns that they used to do in the 60s and 70s.
1: Exactly. This is that's what all of those movies were made for. If you didn't see them in theaters, that's uh, especially the creature features, which Full Moon Entertainment was very into. Uh, They did uh, Puppet Master, I think, is probably their most successful in that someone else has wanted to make a movie about it uh, that wasn't Full Moon Entertainment, which Mm. I'm going to bring it around here back to the film. Tim Thomerson is the guy who plays the main protagonist's dad in this. Tim Thomerson was Dollman, the main character of the Dollman franchise that Full Moon Entertainment created. I believe he was in three different Dollman movies, the last one being Dollman versus Demonic Toys, where they combined two different Full Moon uh, franchises into one. I have seen both Dollman and Dollman versus Demonic Toys. So it was the Infinity War of its day. It was. It was. Except terrible. It always. In every way. <laughs> like, I've seen so many of these movies, and I recognized a lot of what movies like this inspired. Because there's also a shit ton of action, kung fu, cop movies are another big, big thing in this. And what told me that that's what this was going to be is I looked at the cover and I was like, oh, this is something I would see on a red letter media best of the worst shelf. Ah, shit. (laughs) And that's when I knew what I was in for. And I wasn't wrong.
0: So when I first started watching this movie, honestly, my first thought was, oh. Oh this is the other movie that Hot Shots was parodying that wasn't Top Gun. <laughs> because they opened the same goddamn way, almost beat for beat.
1: I wouldn't be surprised, honestly.
0: And it's also why Hot Shots has to be as silly as it is, because otherwise it would just be a remake.
1: I mean, Hot Shots has a different story than this.
0: But it's similar, right? Yeah, but I'm, no, I mean, like the first, like, Five minutes of this movie is the exact same movie.
1: Yes, that's true.
0: As Hot Shots, but like Hot Shots, they like had to dial it up to 11. So it wasn't just using the same footage, essentially.
1: Yeah, they have that uh, the pilot getting gunned down, which is a great opportunity to talk about the plot of this movie because it's fantastic. It's not a lot of plot, but they really stretch it out. And I think- no,
0: it is a lot of plot. There's so much plot in this movie. I mean, for like a stupid, simple premise, man, there's just like we go on a journey with this kid like he's racing against a dirt bike in the. Oh, God. Grand Canyon type of. I don't even know what's going on with that scene. I mean, when I sat down to watch this, I was like, okay, this is going to be 90 minutes,
2: be nice and easy, and like Liam and Katie might trash it, I might say a few good things, and over and done. And then I look at it, and it's like, an hour 56, I'm like, what the fuck, they made a two hour movie out of this? like, it's a long movie, for what it is.
1: It's all the flight footage, because I'll tell you, from having watched a lot of this type of shit, especially, like, this feels very canon films, which... I mean, most of our listeners should know Canon Films. They they have the most iconic title in their inventory. Break into Electric Boogaloo. They also did uh, the Masters of the Universe movie. That was the one that um, famously broke the company because they ran out of money and ended it. But it has, like, the young teens aspect of, like, it's these scrappy kids who are going to, you know... Do better than the grown-ups mm-hmm. at, re- at doing some outlandish task. In this case, going to rescue a dad. It's
0: the Lucas-Spielberg effect.
1: Yeah, if Lucas and Spielberg took it to, like, 50.
0: Because it's it's a lot of the, like, E.T. and Goonies yes, kind of, like, yes. kids on bikes, you know, outsmarting the FBI or... or Outsmarting the robbers and getting the treasure, like in this case the right. Air
1: Force and the Generals.
0: Right. Outsmarting the entire Air Force. The entire US Air Force. Like correct. But instead of being kids on bicycles, there was a there was a Land Rover commercial. Do you guys remember that? This was only a couple of years ago. And this was when I decided fuck Land Rover. Only now? <laughs> well, really, because the commercial, I was like, who are you marketing <laughs> this to? And it was a guy in like a super billionaire's glider, not quite a plane. Like it didn't have an engine of itself, but he's like flying through these grass-covered mountains and hills and everything. It was a beautiful landscape. Was he gliding? He was gliding. <laughs> so he's not flying. What? I'm just I'm just fucking with you. He's gliding because he's in a glider, but he's flying through these. He's going through the air like a soaring eagle, slowly descending. <laughs> he's falling with style right he's racing a land rover that's like on the ground and i'm like what the fuck who and and the land rover beats the plane right And i'm like i don't think that's how that works i think you have to be faster to be in the air <laughs> well not just that but there's nothing in your way in the right air. <laughs> you can just go like as the crow flies like that is the literally That's why flying is faster than driving. And I'm like, so first of all, this makes no sense. But also, who are they marketing this car to that's like, hey, on the weekends, (laughs) me and my buddy, we take turns racing the plane against the car. And I'm just like, what kind of like fucking ridiculous. Yeah, that is a pretty ludicrous. And then I saw this premise play out (laughs) in this movie where a kid on a dirt bike is like, race me in your plane, big shot. And I'm like... Eddie
1: cheats, that little bastard.
0: What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, race me in your plane? I'll be on here on the ground on my dirt bike like an asshole? That whole premise just made zero sense to me. The only thing that I liked about that entire sequence yep. was yep. one of the Cobra Kai kids was in the back of the plane with him. Like one of those little cronies. It was, uh... I, I had to pull his name up because I couldn't remember it. Rob Garrison played Tommy from The Karate Kid.
1: Yeah, there are a couple of 80s like cronies in this because one of the group. Oh my God, what is the main character? Doug. Doug. One of Doug's close friends is the guy who plays Styles in Teen Wolf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I looked at him and was like, I've seen that face before. Where is he from? But like, you're going to race a plane on your dirt bike so yeah okay and the plane has to try to win not only that it has to follow all these guys you can only be this far off the ground
0: and i guess that's maybe to make it fair but like well, dude, that's, yeah that's what makes it harder like i don't know a lot about planes clearly but you have to be going at a relatively fast speed <laughs> so here i come to save the day on this scene at least
2: thank you please clarify for it's all me. on your own No, but also I really like this scene. The plot is ludicrous in the sense that, yes, unless you really restrict the rules to like you have to be below 30 feet and you can't get more than 50 feet off of the road that the motorcycle is on. Like if they do it like that and you have to take more turns and stuff, I could see it potentially being plausible because a Cessna, depending on how the wind is blowing and they transition through our airspace all the time, can definitely stay airborne at like 70, 80 knots with a good headwind. So
0: fast. And now, knots is, in comparison with miles per hour is. Knots are based, I think, on nautical miles. A nautical mile
2: is 6,000 feet as opposed to 5,280. So call it. I don't know. I don't think the math works out. I want to say it's like 20% faster or something like that. But yeah, you could okay. say 80 knots. 80 knots is probably like 90 miles an hour. Just okay. ballparking it. Don't write in. I don't have a converter in front of me, but it's like something like that. So plausible speeds for a dirt bike to be going, at least in the straightaways. I mean, maybe he's not. he can't mm-hmm. do 90 miles an hour in the turns, but it's not ludicrous. It's not... If he was racing an F-16, it would be ridiculous. It's like, dude, an F-16 is going to crash if it's doing below like 130 knots. So like, that's not happening. You're not doing that on a dirt bike jumping shit. But more importantly, before we get into the plot, I did want to say some of the stunt flying that this stunt pilot is doing is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. He's not 30 feet off the ground. He's like three feet off the ground and going up and down the hills like, staying three feet off the road in some of these scenes. And that's all real.
0: Like, there are no inserts here of any fake modeling. Oh, yeah, no, you wouldn't have been able to pull it off. It's all a real stunt Spoiler alert, James Cameron was flying the plane. I know.
2: I was like, (laughs) if only James Cameron had made this movie, it would have been amazing all the way through. (laughs) Art Scholl is the guy who was flying the Cessna 150 aerobat, and he was a renowned aerobatic pilot at the time. Sadly. Oh, no. He was killed in the next film that he worked on, which was Top Gun. He was flying a Pitts S2 biplane as the camera plane, and they were filming the flat spin sequence when I think it's the scene where, spoiler alert, one of the characters dies because of the ejection, etc. But it's where the F-14 is spinning. He was filming that scene in another plane, and I think they lost control, and I don't know if they went into a spin or what, but they crashed and died, or at least he died. So pretty interesting, as opposed to our old pal Chuck Tamburo, the helicopter stunt pilot who's still alive and well, and I'm pretty sure still working. So yeah, a real badass pilot who died later doing what he loved, but yeah, a lot of the the race is cool, the maneuvering is cool, plot-wise, maybe it's a little far-fetched, but I think they did a really good job shooting that sequence, and the flying is amazing. I just want to throw that out there.
1: I agree. That was very impressive. Watching it happen, I was like, holy shit. I have read about navigating small planes in tight confinement, especially in like the crash scene. Oh yeah.
2: He fake crashes that plane masterfully. Cause that's not easy to do. I mean, he's bouncing off the ground. The wings are not level with the ground. There are all kinds of bushes and like rocks and hills. Like, they didn't just, do like, that on a runway where it, it would still be hard. Yeah. He's like going for it. So he had to pretend to crash a plane while not crashing the plane. That's some skillful ass flying.
1: But I think my favorite part of that whole sequence is that it shows the, that that kid tampering. It was the gas cap or the oil cap, I think uh-huh, it is. Uh-huh. And then things go predictably wrong. And he's like, oh, well, he told me I should do it. I was like, he told you you should kill that guy?
2: Oh, a federal federal crime and a felony to tamper <laughs> like, an narrative, by the way. Like, I'm like, nothing ever happens to that kid. He doesn't get arrested. I'm like, okay, No, he I gets guess. punched in the face
0: and that'll learn him. No,
1: that's it's not even that kid. That kid doesn't get punched in the face. No, that's
0: Tommy from... The karate kid tampers with the plane. Yes.
1: Yeah. Tommy, de- Tommy deserves to get punched in the face and more, but his buddy gets no repercussion. No attempted
0: manslaughter charge, no nothing. Right? This was the 80s when the bullies were actually trying to kill you.
1: Right. And it was just like, oh, well, that's okay.
0: Yeah. It was like, oh, walk it off. Like, go do a lap, rub some dirt in it. And
1: what they're doing to Doug's girlfriend when we first get introduced to the bullies and she drives into the gas station and, uh, bully is just like driving his motorcycle yeah what's that fuckhead's
0: name because tommy from the karate kid is the friend who tampers with the plane that's rob garrison Mm -hmm. i don't remember the actual stupid name of the the guy who was trying to race him packer is it
1: Notcher? notcher notcher
0: that's michael bowen yes you know what I don't want to be too judgmental. He looks like a douchebag still to this day.
1: He looks very kid rocky, but how they're harassing Doug's girlfriend, I was like, "Girl, just run him over with your car."
0: And here's my other question. Why did he even have a girlfriend in this movie?
1: Cuz he deserved one.
0: What what do you mean? I, why did he even have a like she does as a character in a movie, she's not even a sexy lamp. It, it doesn't even fall into the sexy lamp theory where it's like you could she does nothing. And nobody pays any attention to her. There's, like, the the introduction of the bully, and that is it. We almost never see her again.
1: Yeah, I think that's mostly what it's for. And, and because a, a guy like this, an all-American aiming to go into the Air Force guy, he deserves a girlfriend. Right. During the
2: 80s. I guess. Well, I figured... It- we can't have any ambiguity that he might not be straight. So we got to yeah, like, at least
0: throw the girlfriend in there. Well, no my, my question was, why not make that more of the like Elizabeth Shue and the Karate Kid character mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, this is the girlfriend that he's going to get and be rewarded with when he comes home victorious, right. which is what the, the 80s were all about. They
1: don't have time for that.
2: Yeah, she's definitely not really part of the plot. Is the girlfriend Katie?
0: I don't know, because there was the girlfriend and then there were two other girls who were also like Air Force brats.
2: I did not recognize her because she's so young. She must be, I mean, really young in this movie. That's Malora Malora Harden. She plays Jan in The Office. Michael's like long time on and off fiance girlfriend that they have the like crazy relationship (laughs) with who used to be his boss. Yeah, that's crazy. 67. So she was 19 or even like 17 when she filmed this. Maybe. Yeah, crazy.
1: This movie fills in, a, it checks a lot of boxes. You know, it starts us off with the the death of the main character, Doug's dad. Again, played by Tim Thomerson, who is... Well, not uh, death. He's, no, not he's
0: shot or, down nope. and...
1: Very importantly, not dead. Or the rest of the movie would not work. <laughs> right. It starts us off with the crash of Tim Thomerson after being shot down by... Fake Middle Eastern country for quote unquote violating their airspace.
0: Jesus Christ! This movie
1: and and oh, it does it. It just does not care. Like it does not care what it's saying or or talking about in this in regards to the Middle East. It is all caricatures. You know, all the way down. Yeah, but this is a time when Gaddafi was in charge of
2: Libya. You're talking about a time where certain dictators were caricatures. I'm
0: sorry. That's
1: definitely what this is talking about is is Libya. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: no, I I know. But, like, still, Jesus. And the city and the
2: the country name is never mentioned.
1: It is. It's bilia.
2: Right, which is like an anagram of Libya. I'm like, okay, great, yeah, for clear, clear who this is.
1: You did a, did a good job hiding it, guys. I don't know i I didn't find the
2: portrayal overly offensive because I think making it fictional softens it a little bit because you're not actually talking shit about a real country, but also Libya and its ruler was doing atrocious shit at the time, so it's kind of like, yeah, it's a not the worst represent. It's like a, and it's
0: played by David Suchet. He's fucking great. This is the Minister of Defense. Of course he's great. He's David David Suchet. Suchet. Yeah. Famously not Middle Eastern. Yeah, no. Right. I mean, he looks the part, but... He was a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. He came up with Ian McKellen and Judi Dench and... Oh my God. Patrick Stewart and Ben Kingsley. We've kind of done the plot. So his dad accidentally gets shot down. So, no, his dad gets shot down on purpose, but for being... (laughs) in an airspace that is
2: contested. So not to repeat uh, previous mistakes that I've made recently on this podcast, let me make sure to remember that A, I read Richard's research and B to mention that our old pal Richard did the research for this episode. Thanks <laughs> Thank Richard. You. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. So there's not a lot of true history in this. However, there have been incidents where essentially where is that, International waters line has kind of been contested. Tough to measure in the sky, I would imagine. Also, mm-hmm. true. 10 miles and 12 miles is something that comes up, which I think is the controversy here, where the fictional Libyan country considers 12 miles its territory, whereas the U.S. considered it 10. So they were in that gray area, two mile gray area. Was that
0: it? It sounded. I thought he said that they recognized. The U.S. recognized 12 miles as like a, a no-fly zone, but this country was claiming 200. Like it was something like wildly disproportionate, I thought. Here are the real life events that this is extremely loosely based on,
2: just the shooting down. So in 1981, the Gulf of Sidra incident happened. So Sidra is a gulf on the north northern coast of Libya facing the Mediterranean. This involved two U.S. F-14 Tomcats, the same fighters that you see in Top Gun, shooting down two Libyan uh, Sukhoi 22 fitters. As depicted in the movie via a fictional almost Libya country, Libya claimed the Gulf of Sidra as part of its territorial waters. The U.S. Navy conducted freedom of navigation operations in the Gulf to counter this claim, which Libya in turn challenged, with both sides sending multiple aircraft sorties into the contested area. On August 19th, 1981, so pretty recent memory for the people watching this film, an S3A Viking was flying a pattern inside the Libyan claim Zone, but outside of the internationally recognized 12-mile territorial water zone, Freedom of Navigation. Okay, so 12-mile was the actual, you know, NATO thought that was the line. Two Su-22 aircraft were launched from Libya to intercept. U.S. Navy AWACS detected the Sukhoi 22s and vectored two U.S. Navy F-14s flying combat air patrol in the area. So they're flying combat air patrol. That means they're already in the air armed. Like That's their job to just hang out, to be ready if something happens. To intercept, the Libyan 22s fired on the F-14s with two short-range infrared air-to-air missiles, the F-14s returned fire with infrared aim 9 sidewinders splashing or shooting down both fitters. And then a second Gulf of Sidra incident happened in 1989 in which two Libyan MiG-23s continuously altered course to intercept a pair of US Navy F-14s as before the F14 successfully engaged and shot down the Libyan aircraft and we'll have this in our surplus ordnance there's actually a youtube video of the second incident or it's on youtube it's not much of a video it's mostly audio from the cockpit recording and the like gun or nose mounted camera on the aircraft very grainy very bad quality it's mostly just clouds but you get the story told from the point of view of the american pilots and i actually think it's really interesting to watch i watched both of the show because It gives you an insight into what real fighter pilot communication sounds like when they're in a actual stressful combat situation where like shit is going down and they might actually have to fire onto an enemy aircraft, which is like not something that even fighter pilots get to do very often, especially the more and more you go into the modern era, the less and less common dogfights are. And this is an era where air to air missiles are, you know, relatively advanced and common you'll hear them call them out like 25 miles out it gets all the way down to like six miles out which to us sounds like a lot but to supersonic jets you know going opposite directions the closing rate is super high so a lot of these dogfights in sort of latter part of the 20th century are happening at distances with missiles and stuff but it it was interesting to hear for one how many f-bombs these pilots were dropping Again, because they're stressed out, you can just tell the way they're communicating and shit is happening fast. They're like calling out degrees and how far the planes are. So one of the things that stuck out to me in this film is how like mostly poorly the dialogue is. Like it just doesn't sound like real dialogue. None of it. Very poor. None of it. (laughs) Most of it.
1: And it feels like they're trying, but they're really just sanitizing it so much I felt like that was a big thing was they wanted to make this a very scrubbed clean idea of what combat in particular. and Because
0: they wanted kids to go see it.
1: It sounds
2: like they had like the intent of like, let's make this sound real, but then let's not actually ask a single fighter pilot if any of this sounds accurate or good. No, I think it's propaganda. Yeah, it definitely has that feel to it but it's not just that I'm talking about the inaccuracies are not inaccuracies that elevate the conversation or make it sound cooler. At least not, (laughs) not in my
0: view. I don't know. They made three more of these things. Somebody had to think it was cool.
2: Well, my point is, I think it sounds like civilians sitting around trying to guess at what military fighter pilots would use as lingo, as opposed to like actually looking it up or asking them, for example, in the first, in the scene where uh, Doug's dad gets shot down, The two pilots keep talking to each other and they keep addressing each other by rank. Like he calls him lieutenant and the other guy calls him colonel. And it's like on no fucking planet, do U.S. fighter pilots address each other by name or rank. Don't you have a code? I mean, you have a code, but most of the time, like it's just you two in this situation. If I'm talking, I'm only talking to you. And if you're talking, you're only talking to me. I don't need to keep going. Hey, Katie, there's two bogeys at your 10 o'clock. Like, I'm just going to say they're off your left or they're at your 10 o'clock. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're already on the phone. I don't have to keep telling you who I am and who you are. It's a little different. Than-
0: That's That is something that happens in a lot of badly written dialogue things yes. where it's like, Dan, every time I call you Dan, I want everybody to remember that your name is Dan.
1: There is so much of that in this. Liam, you had to have noticed this, how, uh, I don't know, like, chunky the dialogue is in regards to giving information about what is happening. Like, in the beginning, there's just these, like...
0: You and my dad have been friends for a very long time, so I thought if anybody on this base would tell me the truth, it would be you.
1: Exactly.
0: There's a better way to do that. We think we're being
2: smart about weaving exposition into this dialogue, when really we're being terrible. Exactly, at it. <laughs> there was
1: so much of that from the beginning. Like when I, I think the, the most egregious is when they're at the gas station in the very beginning of the movie, and like. Doug and his buddies are talking and they're like, yeah, man, you're going to get approved for going to the Air Force soon and blah, blah, blah. And your mom and dad are going to be so proud of you. And hey, you've been taking all those flight simulator classes Or <laughs> It's just like, oh, my God, my dudes. No,
2: it's like the infamous trophy uh, briefing scene that like Friendly Fire used to talk about all the time where they're like. Let's have the pilot walk in, and then the guy who's pissed at him opens his folder and he's like, "Well, clearly you're very decorated. Here's like hey, the right? list of your co- It's like they're doing that, but just in regular conversation where they're like, it's a hell of a combination.
0: That hell of a combination scene would be way better than like, you and my dad have been <laughs> friends for a very long time. So I thought if anybody on this base would tell me the truth, it would be you. Like that's oh, Jesus, man. fucking Christ.
1: To me, this is another Simpsons quote. Here we are at the movies to watch a movie. That's odd. Why would you say that? We all already know this. Or what the <laughs> quote is.
2: It's like, Man, we need to, like, name more of these segments. But let's do, who is your favorite poorly written character in this?
0: Or what is your favorite, like, poorly written bit of dialogue? Don't ask me to pick a favorite anything in this movie.
1: I have an answer for this. It is Larry B. Scott as Reggie, okay. one of the kids' friends, the black kid.
0: Oh, no. Is this the line that I texted you guys about? Which one? The uh, That's why they call him Ronnie Reagan. Oh, yes, yeah. that
1: kid. He is my favorite because he's just like, I don't even care, man. I'm throwing all my efforts into this. And it just works in a way <laughs> that nobody else works.
2: He's definitely likable. Well, those dudes won't mess with us. The Air Force will kick ass if they do. Yeah, like in Iran, right? Oh, no, that was different. Mr. Peanut was in charge back then. Now we got this guy in the Oval Office who don't take shit from no gimpy little countries.
1: Why do you think they call him Ronnie Ray Gun?
0: Ugh, Jesus.
1: And he is also in The Karate Kid, by the way. Nice. And Revenge of the Nerds it's so
0: cringy it is the worst it is
1: and he pulls it off in the way that's just like oh i mean i see why they
0: hired you
2: yeah
1: he's got that smile that smile goes far and i am so sorry because you deserve like i can tell just from these moments it's like you deserve
0: <laughs> you deserve better lines
1: Better lines and a better role. Like, you are obviously a pretty decent actor. He
0: was He was also Cobra Kai in Karate Kid, right?
1: Yeah, I believe so. I believe so.
0: Because I was going to say, he didn't even have lines in that one. So he's got a lot of lines in this one. So he's already moving up in the world. Even yeah, though this yep. movie is way worse than the Karate Kid. He,
1: he was in three Revenge of the Nerds movies, apparently. How bizarre. But yeah, they. I I think that guy is my favorite. Because he's just so... He's like, I know this is a shitty movie, but I'm getting paid for it. So I'm going to give it my all. And it's like, oh, I bet you could do so much more if you'd gotten the real opportunities.
0: I guess if I had to pick one, it would be the sisters who might be girlfriends. I don't know. Yeah. I was like, wait, <laughs> are they dating or are they sisters?
1: Girl pals.
0: When I was watching the scene where they try to get, what were they getting? The aerial photograph from the dad?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, They were getting footage of something. I couldn't
0: tell if one of them was calling him dad or they both were, but they both had like some very strange body language going on. That was confusing to me.
2: Yes. That scene to me, I was like, if this was a fake porno in the big Lebowski, and I don't mean to be like inappropriate because I'm sure these girls are young, but my point is the acting between the two girls and the way they're making facial expressions and the Mm -hmm. writing is you know log jamming in the Big Lebowski? Yeah. How it's yeah. like...
0: Hi. Hello. My dispatcher says there's something wrong with Dina Carver. Yeah, come on in. I'm not really sure exactly what's really wrong with the cable. That's why they sent me. I have an expert. <laughs> but yes. it's
2: like it's like this caricature of like how bad acting and writing is in a porno like again underage girls aside that's kind of how this scene felt where i was like yeah this is where is the scene going this is really weird and
1: they spill the drink on the dad and it's like <laughs> right. and it's so poorly done it's so poorly like she's so obvious it's just like Whoosh, i'm gonna throw this on you and the dad's like oh now i have to go wash up yeah oh. Well, instead of a dad who'd actually be like, what "The fuck was that about? What are you doing?" It's definitely the
2: writing and acting quality of an '80s porno. For sure.
1: yes,
0: so I know I've talked about this on Fright Pub several times, but on on this show, have I talked about uh, the Umberto Eco essay, "How to Identify a Pornographic Film"? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. We talked about this. Where if it takes longer from to get from point A to point B, and there's no real filler in between, like you're watching a porno.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: A lot of this felt like that. Uh, Liam, I hate to make you repeat yourself,
2: but because I actually remember when this was, that was in Damnation Alley, <laughs> and so it's only on Patreon, so you should you should actually start that sentence over and just give the full
0: spiel because the real the regular listeners sure haven't. and we're sure. keeping
1: all of this in by <laughs> the way.
0: <laughs> so, Italian author Umberto Eco, uh, and I'm sure Dan can pronounce my pronunciation, can correct my pronunciation of that. That's an easy one. You did it. It's fine. He wrote an essay in in his book of essays called "How to Travel with a Salmon." He wrote an essay called "How to Identify a Pornographic Film." And the premise was that if you have a porno, you can't just, well, at least at the time that it was written, you couldn't just get right to the sex. Like the human brain couldn't handle just watching people have sex. Now with internet porn, I'm sure that's changed. But uh, the idea was you had to ease into it with some kind of very flimsy premise, like the cable guy coming to fix the cable. Right. Just like log jamming. (laughs) But... There had to be some dead space there, something leading up to it. So in this, in this uh, circumstance, you would have the girl turns on the TV. The cable doesn't work. She goes to the phone, except the phone, dials the number for the cable company. Talks to the person at the cable company, says the cable's not working, hangs up the phone. The dispatcher picks up the phone, calls the cable repair guy, dials all the numbers. 70s funk playing in the exactly, background the time. Exactly. Exactly. He picks up the phone and says, oh, I can fix the cable. Hangs it up, grabs his keys, goes to... Credits
2: are rolling, the names of the actors are rolling through...
0: Goes to the front door, closes the front door, locks the front door, gets into his car, puts the key in the ignition, turns on the ignition, drives the 10 blocks or whatever to her house, but you see like every stop sign and every stop light that the guy goes through along the way because you can't have an actual plot there to distract from the sex, but you also can't just get right to the sex. So what you have to do is just have nothing happening and a lot of it. And so if you ever see... A movie where it takes you a lot longer than possibly necessary to get from point A to point B, and in between, there's nothing but just, like, extraneous nonsense, you're watching a pornographic film. I think Iron Eagle fits that to a T. Yeah,
1: yeah, because, (laughs) so, to get a little further along in the plot, so, Dad has gone down, and his son, Doug, is both having prom and graduation in the next two days, which I was like, that's not how that works, but okay. Um, One is significantly before the other, and in between prom night and graduation day, his family finds out that his dad has been taken by this Middle Eastern government, and in one of the most unintentionally hilarious scenes... He, he graduates, and he has a flashback where we learn that his dad's just been allowing him to fly fighter jets <laughs> just for funsies. <laughs> it's cool. It's fine. Just for funsies. Right. Who's that guy? Oh, that little
2: guy. I wouldn't worry about that little guy. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, it's, it's fine. So it's fine. Which, again, this guy's like 17, uh, the oldest. And then he does his graduation, and as they are going back to the car, his mom is obviously upset, and he's like, "Mom, what's going on?" And that's when she decides to reveal to him and his little brother, but not his little sister. She isn't in that scene for reasons I don't understand, because she's far younger. Because it was
0: the eighties, you could just leave that kid at home.
1: Yeah, and, well, no, because she's in the car later.
0: <laughs> you could also leave a kid in the car in the eighties. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry, about it. it's I guess fine. So. Just crack the windows. Female character, doesn't matter as
2: much. We could just, we hand wave that one.
1: Exactly, exactly. She tells him, they're gonna hang your dad in three days. What? Ma'am, you couldn't have waited till we got home? No, we couldn't have. So at this point, he's determined that him and his little group of friends, which is another, such an 80s trope, where these kids who are all on this Air Force base Seem to have kind of the run of things, <laughs> kind of definitely. Which my best friend grew up on base at various different places. She was she was a, a Navy brat, nowhere and never has she ever talked about how she had access to going and sitting in her parents' office and hanging out and all that shit. Now, one thing
0: I will say when I when I started watching, and they again, they take it entirely too far but yeah in the beginning scene when he's driving his mustang onto the base and like blowing past the guard and like oh my god that
1: is not something they would have allowed (laughs) that i know
0: no but at the same time my so my dad was an army brat as we've discussed Mm -hmm. and right he grew up on base they used to play baseball in arlington cemetery because that was his backyard He says that they always got the impression, at least when he was growing up, that they were kind of supposed to act out and misbehave. Like, that that was what the grown-ups on the base expected and wanted of them to a certain extent. And that it, like, sort of showed spunk and initiative.
1: Right. Which makes sense.
0: You know what I mean? So, like, him driving the car on base like that, I'm sure he would have gotten reprimanded for, but that seemed to fit into the mold at least Of what my dad was talking about, because my dad and his friends, they used to they used to just stand on the corner in a big huddle and wait for the MPs to drive past. And then when the MPs would drive past them, they would all just like look up at them at the car as it drove past, and then they would just scatter in different directions. So the MPs would get out and chase them because they, they weren't doing anything, but they thought they were doing something wrong. They had to stop one time when two of my dad's friends decided to double back and pushed the cruiser down a hill off the road Oh my
1: god! when the MPs were chasing
0: them. Like they used to, uh, on summer nights, they would dress like head to toe in white and run out to Arlington Cemetery at night.
1: <laughs> oh my God.
0: And they would just like pelt the guardhouse with rocks in the middle of the night. And then the guards would come out and they duck down, blending in with the bleached white headstones in Arlington Cemetery. That's why they dressed all in white. So they would like just start pelting them with rocks and then like duck down real fast. Like they got into all sorts of shit. Yes. So I can see these kids being rowdy and like trying to figure things out and like to a certain extent, I gave them like a little bit of leeway in the beginning and then they quickly lost the good grace that I had tried to build up for them in this movie because Jesus Christ. See, for me, blowing
2: past the gate guard was the most atrocious offense not because of the security or because it's a big deal, but because that guy hates his fucking job. <laughs> I've done guard duty for, <sighs> so I, I I was never an MP. I never did it for a living, but in five years that I was in the military, I got three different months of guard duty assigned to me for various reasons. One was for punishment. One was just because I was waiting to class up. What did you do? (laughs) Oh, not like mouthed off to someone who was my friend, actually. And the staff sergeant on duty did not like that and called me over the weekend. He's like, hey, uh, you just go report directly to the MPs. You have guard duty for a month. And I was like, "Uh, "Okay." so, yeah, they teach you real quick not to mouth off. But anyways, guard duty is like the most boring thing you could ever possibly do. Especially, I mean, that's a pose where like you're talking to people a lot and a lot of people are coming through, but you can be in much more remote. Like, I've done guard duty where I'm on a military base that already has guard posts inside the school of infantry, which has its own like perimetered area in front of an armory that's like a giant safe that is locked. And I'm standing in front of it with an M16, and I'm like, There is no one on the fucking planet who would come rob this army. Like, just no (laughs) chance. So you're just, like, singing to your... And this is before cell phone, like, before smartphones. Like, you're not doing shit other than just staying awake. I
0: was going to say, you're probably not even allowed to have a smartphone on guard duty, I would assume.
2: Probably not. and, And I certainly didn't have one at the time. So it was, like, this is, like, 2003. You're, like, counting the rivets. You're literally rivet counting. Like, I was counting the screws in the ceiling just because you're so... Board, and you might be out there for six hours straight just by yourself. My point being MPs are already dicks in general. If some kid in a Mustang comes flying through the checkpoint and doesn't stop and you're like, hey, hey, stop. And he keeps That's gonna your- be
0: like that guy's birthday, right? Dude,
2: he's calling Everybody. everybody you're gonna be like chasing him down you're gonna draw weapons on that guy because you have to assume that he's like trying to run a bomb into the base right like you have to assume the worst because it's your ass if something happens so right yeah right. there's no way that that would have been just like a comedy moment where it's like oh haha you didn't catch him get you next time you know it's <laughs> not <laughs> right. like that whatsoever
1: uh Ugh. but anyway so he enlists all All of his uh, Eagle Reserve or something is what they call themselves. They make little jackets, even. The Eagle Flying Club. Eagle Flying Club. Thank you. So he enlists all of his friends on the base to try to find out what's really going on with his dad. And he, you know, just barges past an MP to go and hunt down one of the higher ups. Who's like, it's fine, just stick to my heels for a while, just so you know what's going on. And I was like, I don't, I don't think this is the case. But hey, it was the 80s. And the thing we forgot to mention, while he was doing his ridiculous Cessna bike race, he met Colonel Charles Chappie Sinclair, played by Louis Gossett Jr., who is the only through line from here to the end of this four-movie series, Who is. Typical crotchety, but kind old man. Once you get to know him, or older guy, he's not even old, he's probably our age at this point, and kind of makes friends with him, even though he is in the Air Force Reserve. He is not in the actual Air Force,
0: he's not active duty, right?
1: Yes, he's not, he's not going every day to do this. He's got other stuff living his life.
0: No, he's staying sharp. He is. he is. So, is I have not seen an officer and a gentleman as of yet. Is this basically just a riff on his role that he won an Oscar for in that? No, but I was going to say that
2: there's a little bit of drill instructor flavor in him in this role. Yeah, and I was like, totally. why does this ring a bell? And then as you were saying that, I was scrolling through his IMDb and I was like, oh, because he plays an actual drill instructor in an officer and a gentleman, so that makes sense. Yeah, he won an Oscar for it. He's one of the famous on-screen drill instructor characters
1: yeah and he's great i mean i have opinions about this movie but louis casa jr is too in his damnedest to make this something and i enjoyed watching him anytime he's on screen even when he's doing some pretty cheesy shit because like he does it so well and he's so charming he's definitely the most charming person in this Yeah,
2: I was going to ask you guys about this from an acting perspective, because what I saw, like watching him, I kept thinking, I see a good performance here that is almost being tripped up by the clumsy writing. The writing is so shitty. Oh, it's so bad. What I saw was an actor delivering a 80% good performance, despite the fact that the writing kept trying to...
0: Put a stick in his spokes, right? Like, is that... Yeah, that is mm-hmm. that is that is a correct assessment. Okay. And it's not even the dialogue, which is also terrible, but it's the premise that this kid is going to guilt trip Lewis Gossett Jr. A career colonel in the Air Force. A career colonel in the Air Force who has led men in Vietnam.
2: I've given this country 22 damn fucking years of my life. 22 years, I've seen young boys blown out of the air over the Pacific. I've seen the guts sprawl all over the rice padders of Vietnam. So every time somebody dies for this country, believe me, boy, I give a shit.
0: He is going to browbeat and guilt trip Lewis Gossett Jr.'s character, Chappie, into helping him steal two F-16s from base and fly across the ocean on a suicide mission. Yeah. To rescue one pilot that he met in a hallway once, essentially. Yeah. But he respected him a lot, so there's that. I I just, I don't, I don't.
1: <laughs> Let's give some perspective here. I just want to give this little tidbit of information. So the guy who wrote this, who also wrote uh, the next two movies, Sidney J. Fury. That's <laughs> the best dude ever. Who won an Oscar?: That had to be the name of the guy who wrote this.: he He won an Oscar, which I, I, for I am what? trying to, I, I don't <laughs> know. I don't, no, I'm sorry, excuse me. He won a BAFTA. Oh. <sighs> he won a BAFTA for something. I, I'm not quite sure what, but whatever. Uh, the Baftas
0: get into some weird shit sometimes. I don't know what to tell you.
1: They do they do. And he's Canadian, so he was barely eligible for the BAFTA. The movie he made after this. And before Iron Eagle, too, was Superman Four: the quest for peace. Yeah. He wrote and directed that.
0: So he's famous for, like, subtlety and having a light touch. Right. With all of his plots and dialogue.
1: Exactly. So I think that really plays into a lot of this is is just the writing is so poor. And Doug tries to convince chappy to go along with this and he's got all of his buddies and i think in most other 80s movies like if you're trying to it it kind of feels like a heist movie right like Mm -hmm. you're you're trying to pull off saving someone from like kidnappers or whatever and you convince the local cop to help you or the detective that's what it feels like except in the grand scheme of things you're stealing like what Million dollar airplanes?
2: Oh more, no, way more than that. <laughs> dozens of millions of dollars for each aircraft.
1: Fast wealth, setting up fake plans, fake orders, all of this stuff. Like they're getting refueled in midair, like I think twice. Oh
2: yeah, this this would take a ton of logistics. Oh, it would have been so many times. I mean, they're. Where are they actually in in the film on this base? does it say?
1: so I think it's supposed to be I, I couldn't tell if it was in Colorado or California. I think it's supposed to be in California.
0: No, he was going to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs
1: in Colorado right
0: right, but it doesn't ever say what base this is. I can't remember okay,
2: it looks like the West Coast for sure, like it looks it like does, the western yeah. half of the country, but you're taking a something that is like a sprinter or a motorcycle right it's a fighter jet yeah it's a it's a fighter bomber the f-16 is
0: these are why they have carriers to carry the planes that need carried to the places exactly yeah this thing is
2: small it does not fit that much gas on it so you're gonna have to refuel multiple times over there which i mean to their credit To be honest, even though it takes them two minutes to get to Libya in the film, or sorry, faux Libya. (laughs) Bilia. Which I was like, this would have taken so many hours, but whatever. They condense that time, which is fine. To their credit, they do at least put the effort into a refueling tanker scene. And I was like, this level of movie is so poorly written that they could have not done that. And it wouldn't have really ruined the movie. You would have been like, that's it. I got to stop watching this. They're not <laughs> even refueling. Like, so at least they tried to make it somewhat plausible.
1: For me, it, it makes it feel more ridiculous because the kid is able to pull off the refueling maneuver. And that's I'm like, that's what I'm
0: saying. One of the harder things to do.
1: I'm like, that's got to be so insanely difficult. Like, you got to have just steady hands. Also,
2: one of the few moments, and there are many in this film, for all the great aerial shots and real aerial footage of fighters maneuvering and doing stuff there are also a lot of moments of models not too Mm -hmm. much in the movement scenes it's mostly static stuff but the refueler is definitely a model and the f-16 butting up to the refueler definitely a model which to their credit they edited well because they don't stick to that shot for very long
1: right you get just snaps of it or every
2: time the airplanes explode which clearly you're not gonna blow up even a real well there's probably one real mock-up when they bomb the base later that you can tell like the pilot gets out of it and he runs away and the plane explodes and it's a very poorly made like wooden plane where you're like okay that looks really bad and all the models in the air to air fights this is actually pointed out in the goofs because I don't know if I would have put my finger on it of why it looks fake, but they're made of wood. Oh. So when they explode, they splinter instead of fragmenting into pieces of metal. And so Shrattle. you can kind of... Yeah, exactly. So you can kind of tell. You see the yes. same effect when they blow up the tower, which is clearly made of wood. Yeah, like it's just wood splintering everywhere. We're
1: not there yet. We're not there yet. We've got to save our bits. We'll get
2: there, because I want to I talk about all these towers blowing up in this movie, which is oh not my a common God. thing.
1: So they... I'm not going to go into all the detail of of what happens between Doug convincing Chappie, hey, you gotta help me out here, and them deciding, alright, we're going to do this. Although it it takes all of...
0: They do go to get some Italian food.
1: It with Slappy! Right, at Slappy's Italian. I was like, what What kind
2: of Italian joint is this? Like It, was yep. kinda, it looks like slappy. a strip club, but it's like a black joint. I was like, I've never seen an Italian food place like this, but alright.
1: And you get to see Slappy played yeah. by Chino, Fats, Will Williams,
0: <laughs> famous Italian chef.
1: So, who, who is in the Terminator? He's the garbage truck driver.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh man, I fucking love that guy. I had no idea it was the same guy. That's awesome. Yep. He's the guy yep. with the cigar that says "What the hell?" And then they play yep. it again. Like two seconds later, he just goes. What the hell? The yes. same line
0: oh man i'm so glad you so he goes that. from garbage man to owning a very successful italian strip club nightclub joint yeah. place go back and listen to our terminator episode if you haven't heard that
1: so him and his buddies convince Chappie to help him out they all plan this they go through a
0: lot of planning to a montage It's a planning montage. It's like a training montage, but with planning.
1: It's definitely a montage. My favorite scene is where Milo, who is uh, the son of a high-up intelligence officer, we assume, because he's the one who seems to be able to get all this information just sitting, quote-unquote, sitting outside his dad's office. He brings paperwork to a lady who's running computers, and then fools her with the computers. Like, it is just
0: wild. He presses a button and breaks the computer he like presses f8 or something
1: yep and then it's like here right. you go take care of it i'll call a guy like oh it's just it is so out there
0: nobody knew how computers worked at this point
1: point. and right. that that at least kind of made sense to me but was also like i feel like the, U, the, the u.s military is a little bit more prepared than this right maybe not in the 80s i guess
0: No, but like the writers didn't know how a computer works because he literally just pressed a button and it started like showing up in like weird, not letters. Like it just like-
1: It looked like a Matrix screensaver.
0: It looked like the Matrix load screen, yeah. Yeah, it reminded me of
2: DOS a little bit, even though it was a little brighter and different, but I was like, oh man, I remember having to learn DOS. I mean, there's something to be said that- and you guys who have kids, I'm sure know this very well that like, if anyone's going to know the technology better than the adults, it's like a 17 year old, like they know how all
0: that shit. Yes, works. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And I have no problem with that except for the fact that the guys making the movie didn't know how to make a computer break. Right. Yeah. So it's just like, Oh, I'll press this button. That's the, that's the secret button that, All computers have. I'm going to press that button and this is going to go to pieces.
1: I'm going to put in a a function. I think it was like F8 or something.
0: I do have to go to bat for the Air Force here
2: for a second and just say that people are not this overweight in the Air Force. I'm sorry, but like the Air Force has physical fitness standards. Not like that. Okay, no. What? The lady not meeting her standards. The colonel. Did we need
1: to bring fat shaming into this?
2: This is the military. I'm not fat shaming. I'm saying it's inaccurate. No, it's it's true.
0: I would not be allowed in the military. And that's a choice that I've made.
1: Uh, Neither would I. (laughs) Based purely on
2: that. Well, and other things. But it's, look, it's a military movie. And the worst part is actually how they dress and carry themselves. Because my favorite or, like, most ridiculous character is colonel blackburn who is the guy who is
1: michael allredge is the actor's name yep
2: yeah so when doug runs into the radar room which like looks like there's air traffic controllers in there from what i can tell those look they're either they're either radar air traffic controllers or like tactical controllers who like talk to planes okay. but they're not separating them they might actually be putting them together where they're like doing war games and stuff i, I again i'm not 100 sure the equipment's too old for me to know but um that character who's very adamant about getting the admiral on the phone because the general wants to blah blah blah
0: i'm
1: gonna get my tip in a ringer if the general catches me showing you this stuff
2: keep your mouth shut i mean they made him a redneck basically like his accent is so intense yes,
1: yes and
2: but it's like he should have been drinking in that scene for the way he was talking where he just sounds so country bumpkin where i'm like mm-hmm. okay this guy's a colonel in the air force yes a bit over the weight standards but more importantly in like one of the next scenes he's just hanging out with his like tie untied or like pulled down and like his top buttons like undone and i'm like what is he like at home drinking a beer? Like he's on duty in this room. There's no way he would be acting like that. So And
1: he's setting the standard. It's not like he's just some some under-recruit exactly. or whatever. Like he he is, as I, I had in a work meeting today, of reminding us all that we set the standards for our employees. Yeah. Nah, dude, that wouldn't be okay. You your bosses would get
2: pissed. So I don't know if this is the production actually telling the actors to do a little bit of the stuff just to stick it to the Air Force, because infamously, the Air Force refused to give this movie support because they make Air Force security look so bad. And they were like, look, there's no way.
1: And they have the specific rule that I read was that they will not support anything that shows Stealing a plane. Right. They don't want to encourage that. That's their boundary is that, like, if you show someone stealing a plane from the US military, mm. we're not supporting your film. Interesting. Okay. So, but that's
2: actually the reason why this ended up having. It's unclear whether they planned on having F 16s in this before this happened. But once they didn't get the Air Force's approval, they had to go to Israel. And shoot a lot mm-hmm. of the scenes in Israel. All the like faux Middle Eastern stuff is shot in Israel, at least when it's not a studio or a soundstage or whatever. And the aircraft are F-16s that Israel was were flying, is what is used for the Air Force fighter jets. And then the quote unquote MiG-23s are actually Israeli Defense Force Kafir fighters, which are based on the French Mirage 5. I'm pretty sure the Israeli Air Force at the time, because it's an older jet, was actually using that as their antagonist plane. So when they would war game, that would be their, like, MIG or whatever. They could paint it with whatever enemy paint job they wanted to. Which brings me to an interesting thing, which is why in the F this movie is called Iron Eagle. Because one would assume, oh, the F-16 must be, like, called the Eagle. And it's not. The F-16 is... A falcon in US terminology and a viper everywhere else in the world. Like, Mm -hmm. so mostly known as viper, but I've heard people call them, you know, falcons or fighting falcons here. Uh, So not an eagle, but that may be because they were going to use f-15s before but then didn't get is the 15 the eagle the 15 is the eagle so i don't know if the title just stuck or they just thought iron eagle just sounded cool but it's like a little confusing because there is no eagle in here other than what the kid decides to call himself for that bit of dialogue that liam mentioned earlier
0: yeah the 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 chappy says he's you gotta believe that plane you're in is like a suit of armor like an iron eagle that nothing can penetrate
2: And I I won't go through the rest of it, but Richard uh, laid out a really nice glossary here that talks about the different MiG and Sukhoi models, as well as different call signs. He explains what Fox 1, Fox 2 means, the different types of missiles. So if you want more detail on the nerdy stats there, you can go to our surplus ordinance and read all of Richard's research.
1: Let's move on to the the final act of the film, which is... Chappie and Doug, they're going to go rescue Colonel Masters, Doug's dad, which most of the antagonists in this are just kind of like shady other Middle Eastern country, but it does have a face in David Suchet.
2: (laughs) What a great face
1: he has. He has a fabulous face. As the Minister of Defense.
0: Everything about David Suchet is great, except being in this movie.
1: Except he's in Brownface in this for sure. Uh,
0: Do not go to bat for this movie on this one, Dan.
1: No. This is not
0: where you want to (laughs) be.
1: Don't don't spend your capital on this. They're fake Libyans.
0: I don't give a shit if they're fake Libyans. Like, this is a
1: still Middle Eastern. The the Oh my god. So David Suchet is the... He kind of seems like he's like the emperor or like the head of government when he's just the minister of defense, which is very weird. Like this movie plays fast and loose with who's in charge of what. He has a pretty fabulous uniform. I'm going to say,
2: I'll tell you what, he wears his uniform better than just about any U.S. Air Force character in the film.
1: Honestly, to me in this era, and this is definitely my age, he definitely comes across as supposed to be looking like uh, Saddam Hussein in this. Yeah. I think
2: in this case... Gaddafi is more the direct parallel?
1: Yeah. Gaddafi is the direct parallel, for sure.
0: Gaddafi did not wear that hat.
1: But yeah, the, the hat He and,
0: looks more like a Hussein.
1: Yes, that's is what the, I was thinking. So, Chappie. I, I, drives me crazy that his name is Chappie. Chappie! I I just think of that terrible fucking <laughs> Neil Blomkamp movie. Chappie? So, Chappie and Doug decide they're gonna take it on. They, you know, deceive the U.S. government and the Air Force into giving them these planes. Fully fueled,
2: fully armed, state-of-the-art jet fighter at the
0: Stealing time. bombs that are gonna, like, produce a wall of flame for ten minutes.
1: The Hades bomb, oh. which is based on napalm, obviously.
0: Right. It's like a fictionalized version.
1: Right. So, they go in, and... Here's a moment to tell you about how Doug, who is 17 or 18, who's been rejected from the Air Force Academy at this point, which is an important plot point for later, unfortunately, (laughs) has been like sneaking onto base his whole life and has been using up other people's jet simulation flying time. And he's just this amazing jet fighter with... One of the most ridiculous cassette tape setups I've ever seen. Like, it, it's a cassette tape that he, like, straps to his leg.
0: It straps to his leg. It's very Baby Driver in that, like, not the leg strapping bit, but he's only good when he can listen
1: to his tunes. Exactly. He needs his music. Yeah,
0: What he, and what I would call
2: that a, so pilots have a knee board, which is kind of exactly what it sounds like it's like a small they have a a small clipboard that fits on top of their thigh and probably wraps around and 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 ties off to the back of their leg and they can keep a notepad there right with a pen attached to it and then like any really important charts they might need are like right there again i'm not a pilot so don't quote me on that it's your post-it note yeah kind of so what especially if you're doing aerial maneuvers like the thing is strapped to you as everything should be in a cockpit especially in a jet fighter otherwise it's gonna go flying right. everywhere you don't want that so yeah he has like a kneeboard walkman basically is what he has <laughs> which right. is
0: hilarious
1: and and he can only he can only hit his targets with the bombs when he uses it appropriately which well
0: no it's it's a riff of the the scene in butch cassidy and the sundance kid Oh, oh! that's what it's mimicking. That's what it's kind of riffing on is the the scene when, you know, like Sundance is like a really fast, really great gunslinger. They're trying to get jobs as like a security detail in Bolivia. And uh, the guy's like, here, hit this target. And he's like, just here. And he was like, yeah, go ahead. And so he tries to shoot it and he misses. And then he's like, oh, you're no good. And He's like, hey, can I move? It's like, what do you mean? Can I move? And then he, like, does this, like, weird crouch thing, and he, like, shoots the target, like, all the way across the room and everything. He's like, I'm better when I move.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It is one of those moments. So, Chappie and Doug fly into Billia, and <coughs> Chappie goes down pretty early, and he has made a tape. Or a
0: series of tapes,
1: maybe? I don't know. Uh, yeah, like it was
0: hard to tell. Now listen close, kid.
1: I recorded some stuff to help you through each part of the mission. And he obviously goes down in the Mediterranean. The med? In the med, yes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, th- thanks for the correction. And Doug thinks he's dead and decides he's going to keep going. He's going to save his dad. And then insanity unfolds. He goes and bombs a oil refinery a town he kills so many people and <laughs> he's say 17 18 year old kid who's never had real military training beyond like all right i'm sneaking into this shit that is where it just becomes like i'm sorry what what
2: i felt a pretty distinct line in the film from like once Chappie goes down The rest of the film is much worse than the first part of the film, in my opinion. Oh, God. Right. Because, again, you have some good aerial shots that are kind of saving that, especially because they're long, like quite a bit of the time in the first half is like actually decent aerial footage. While the cockpit of the F-16 is inaccurate, the HUD, the green overhead display is actually Mm -hmm. real, basically real HUD footage from an F-16. So that's accurate minus the small detail that it says sim on the bottom left corner. So, you know, it's from a simulator and <laughs> not real, but again, most of that stuff looks pretty good. And then you get the second half where it's just like, for one, he is just ha- He has it in for the control towers at these airports, which is, it's something we talk about at work every once in a while we're like, have you ever heard of a control tower getting hit by a plane or getting taken out like ever in history? And I feel like there was one anecdotal story of maybe a Japanese kamikaze pilot on one of the islands in the Pacific trying to hit the tower and possibly mm-hmm. be successful. But I, very anecdotal. I can't remember because it's just funny. We're like this big thing that sticks out in the middle of an airport. but And in this movie, he purposely shoots down at least two towers with his magical cannon that he shoots a few rounds of his like 20 millimeter cannon and this entire building explodes.
0: Boom. That was going (laughs) to be my question. Is that like, he's shooting a wooden building with regular ass bullets, right?
2: I don't want to be inaccurate here. I do think that they're not
0: magic bomb bullets. They're definitely
2: not magic. Sometimes they do explode. Like uh, you, and right now the technical terminology is escaping me. So nerds, I'm sure Mike will make an entire post about this, but yeah some of the bigger rounds on aircraft machine guns are explosive rounds that doesn't mean they make huge explosions or can make an entire building explode it just means that they damage vehicles more easily right like if you shoot it it.
0: exploded oh did they just blow up everything is just rigged with c4 in this right in a ball of flames like it's not even like he hit something and it like burst the bullet hits and uh just a ball (gasps) Of flames. Yeah, it's like seven squibs go off and then just gigantic
2: thermonuclear explosion. It's like, what the fuck?
1: Right. And then we get um, my personal favorite and predicted part... He tells them, if you don't release my dad, obviously doesn't reveal that it's his dad, although I think it'd be funnier if he had. (laughs) If you don't release my dad in this specific way, then I'm going to destroy these five um, highly
0: rated military targets.
1: Yeah, these five highly rated military targets and the Minister of Defense, Colonel Akir Nakesh." Is apparently his name, even though I don't know that we ever actually hear it that much in the movie. You
0: hear the name. He's not credited as that. Okay. He's just the Minister of Defense. But his name is said. I think he says it himself. You may deal directly with me now, Colonel Akira Nakesh.
1: He is also an ace pilot. Oh, right. And... I, I was like, oh no, oh no. And current
2: at dogfighting, or maybe not so current, but at least able to get up there. Uh,
1: apparently not. Yeah. So, eventually, uh, which is oh, God, the scene <laughs> where the dad gets shot, <clears throat> like by the sniper, oh, in the God. shoulder, and the kid thinks his dad is dead, But he still makes a second approach. Like, it just goes off the rails. The yells are
2: so great. Ah! Tropy is fucking hilarious. (laughs) so bad. My God.
1: He picks up his dad, and they're flying away, and uh, they defeat Nakesh, but then there's all these MiGs coming after them, and then. the air force (laughs) comes to save them and the migs run away yeah of course and here's where it gets to the point where i was like okay are we gonna see some gonna see some reality here
0: oh this kid's going to jail for sure right (sighs) there he gets a scholarship
1: so Chappie not dead just, just kidding. Chappie not dead.
2: Still a colonel, not in jail. Apparently, Chappie nope. is going to take zero responsibility for stealing <laughs> these two F-16s as, exactly. as the adult in the room. He's like, nah, he's fine.
1: He gets picked up by an Egyptian fishing trawler, and they eventually go and are quote-unquote tried for their behavior.
2: Right. It's made to look like a court-martial, even though... And here's an interesting point. I know we have some JAG, former JAG officers or people with um, legal experience in the military here that could chime in in the audience, but military law, the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, applies to anyone in the military. And clearly when you do things on base, a military court is going to have some say there, but I don't know whether a civilian underage child teen yeah could be tried in a military court i'm not sure what the deal is there so someone chime in and let us know
0: it's almost like this movie is not plausible almost parts parts parts
1: So they they just kind of like hand wave away in my mind the most the, the funniest part of this is them just being like you can't talk to anybody about this ever again and that's enough and i was like you're not going to investigate how the hell they got these flight plans approved these like right arming these planes, all of that shit. None of the
2: people who let him through are being punished. Like, they're not being disciplined for failing at their jobs. (laughs) Like, no one's being disciplined here.
1: Apparently, Colonel Masters was awesome enough and important enough that it's fine. We'll just forget all of that shit. Already
2: home with his shirt untucked, having a beer. Like, no big deal.
1: Yep. Nobody cares. And Chappie convinces them that the best thing is to give... Doug admittance to the Air Force Academy, which I was like, no!
2: He's going to punish him by giving him exactly what he wants.
1: This is my pedantic self. I was like, okay, I'm not in the military, and I am far from a military person, but this is not the kind of person that the U.S. military wants in their ranks because he has shown himself to be willing to just be like, I don't give a fuck about any of that. I'm going to do whatever I want and then he's rewarded for it
0: the cia would take him
1: exactly but you guys aren't
2: military people but your parents would you ever punish your child by giving them exactly what they wanted the whole time like what's the point of that
1: right and and the whole concept of like one of the big necessities of of the mil- of any military is following the chain of command and following your orders and understanding that like you might not know why the the brass is doing what they're doing but you have to trust and believe them unless you think they are acting unethically saving this one kid's dad is not acting it, it, refusing to save him because of you know political reasons is not acting unethically putting uh, uh you know the u.s at possibly at risk for greater conflict because of one person is not (laughs) risking a war like that is literally what you sign up for when you join the military is the fact that like you are part of the machine you are here to do a job and you might be counted as like well i'm sorry dude but we're not going to risk going all out war to save you as many current prisoners of war are experiencing and this kid's refusal to accept that, to me, which is so ridiculous, because I, I I know, I watch a lot of bad movies. But that, to me, was the most egregious moment of, like, uh-uh, uh-uh, this is not how this shit works.
0: No, it kind of... So, the Air Force showing up at the end kind of reminded me of the the mindset of... And we we haven't talked about this on this show yet, but the mindset of the crazed colonel in Dr. Strange love that once we go ahead and do the thing we're not supposed to do, you won't have any other option, but to commit. Yes. I get
1: that sense too.
0: So like, that was kind of what I got about, like the, what I was like, Oh, it's the air force showing up. Maybe that makes sense, but I, I, I promise you, I'm trying to find sense where I can, where I can find sense in this movie, but it's, it's tough.
1: That You're being too generous, Liam. There is no sense in the idea that both of these men wouldn't have immediately been imprisoned for the rest of their lives.
0: No, not that, but like the sense in the Air Force coming to get them at the end when they show up and scare off the MiGs.
1: It would have been bad optics to let a kid die.
0: They should have just shot him down. Be like, oh, fuck, I don't know what happened to him. They
1: can control the narrative more. And, you know, that part wasn't as egregious to me as the idea that they would just let this kid go instead of being like, we are going to absolutely bury you forever. You and all your little friends.
2: It seems plausible that the Air Force would send forces to go retrieve their jet, which is, don't forget, worth many, many millions of dollars. And an American citizen who is now in harm's way. Who didn't sign up for it, right? Right. And like disciplining him and taking care of the fact that he stole a plane is something you can do later. But that's kind of independent of the Air Force deciding to go after him, I think. Right. Even though in real life it probably wouldn't happen like this and it might end up
0: being a more diplomatic thing. But It should be said the poultry excuse that they use for bringing him into the Academy is so that he is now in their jurisdiction and they can ensure his silence. (sighs) But that takes us to the end of the
2: film where him and Chappie and the war hero POW dad get off the plane. And (laughs) the journalist who's narrating the scene is basically like, we did a little bit of digging and then tells the exact story in short form of what just happened. And I was like, Wasn't there a scene 10 seconds ago where they were just saying you're not allowed to tell anyone what the fuck happened? But the news has the entire story. They know exactly what happened. Well, no, they didn't say that the kid was involved. They don't
0: say that the kid went to rescue him. Right. Okay. That's the thing that's missing. Just
1: that he flew over there to help pick up his dad.
0: Yeah. He w- he went over to help pick up his dad once the U.S. Air Force already had him.
1: Right. It's very glossed over with, like, a heavy amount of Vaseline.
0: But that Chappie was involved in the planning of the mission.
1: Yeah, that's, that's uh, Iron Eagle.
0: That's the movie. So now it's time for the breakdown. It's the point in our show when we ask our three questions. What was the objective of this film? Was it on target... And did we like it? Katie, why don't you lead us off?
1: Well, I think the biggest objective of this film was to make money. They wanted to make money while telling a patriotic, rah-rah America story. And also have lots of planes flying around doing cool plane stuff because they figured that would sell. This movie feels very, very cynical to me, using as little money as possible to draw in as big an audience and therefore make box office, which they didn't do a good job of considering. I doubt they made anything off the box office. This was all home video. If we want to be generous, which I don't, but I will. <laughs> just just to be nice. If you're trying to tell this from a story perspective, you know, you're trying to explore you you are watching a young man trying to find his place in the world of the military where he has grown up in it, but he's not necessarily a part of it. And we get to see him rescue his dad from the Middle East, you know, like teenagers do. Was it on target? No, 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 it's, it's not good. It is poorly written. Well shot. Well done in regards to the jet fighting scenes. I mean, it tries in that way of 80s, action movies I guess it kind of generally hits the mark but it's so so bad and so muddled and confusing and just patently frustrating with how stupid it is in regards to kids who are able to essentially invade this military base and steal a multi-million dollar plane, and it's just it's so out of whack that it's it's difficult to take in any way seriously. Did I like it? No. No, I didn't <laughs> like it. That like I said, this is this is something I would expect to see on Red Letter Media's best of the worst. Like at some point I might see it, depending on who's picking that episode, because this is all of those cheesy, ridiculous things, and it's not one of the better ones. You know? It's frustrating to watch. It's very silly. Louis Gossett Jr. is doing his best. Bless his heart. Okay? <laughs> We're gonna go there. Bless his heart. He... I have no, no shame or anything on him. He's making his money, but Jesus, this movie is painful to watch. Dan, what did you think of it?
2: So... I think the objective here was to make a fun summer blockbuster and whoops, Top Gun's coming out this summer. So we better release this before that one so that it doesn't look as bad. So they moved it to, I think January and Top Gun came out in May, which probably helped them a lot at the at the box office. This was competing directly with Top Gun. I think it would have gone straight down the drain and out of theaters and Top Gun would have, you know, blown it out of the water as it did anyways. So was it on target uh, at coming out before top gun? Yes. Yes. They nailed that target <laughs> at being good. Uh, no, this was not a good movie. Again, there are things I did appreciate about it. There are some really great aerial shots that like they put a lot of trouble into like having a chase plane and having to have 16s flying around. Like a lot of that looks really good and it's like, well done. It's not edited together too poorly. Uh, I think in some scenes you could actually argue it's edited better than Top Gun in terms of the continuity of what's happening between friendly and enemy aircraft and missiles firing and things exploding, et cetera. And personally, I really like the chase with the Cessna and the motorcycle. As ludicrous as the premise is, again, the stunt flying is pretty fantastic. I think that often just the writing and the dialogue Sometimes the performances, but mostly the writing and the dialogue is what really kills this movie for me. Uh, we didn't get to mention it, but there's the flashback scene where Doug is coming off of the flight in the F-16 with his dad and his dad's scolding him. And then basically he's like, I've never taken you up again. And Doug goes, come on, dad. And clearly the father means to respond. Don't come on, dad, me. Right? Like don't to <laughs> that bullshit. But he says Don't come on me, Dad. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and it's so fast that it's kind of hard to catch, but I read it in the goops and I was like, Oh man, that's a bad one. And like they just I guess nobody making the movie caught it either because they didn't do take two or three. They just took that take and was like, good enough, put it in. <laughs> that's just a good example of some of the poor workmanship in this when it comes to the writing and the dialogue. And again it's almost frustrating to watch a famously good Louis Gossett Jr., who had famously won an Oscar for acting as supporting actor an Officer and a Gentleman, so he's he knows what he's doing, and yet I watched him kind of oftentimes stumble through the dialogue. It's almost, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Liam, but to a layman and not a screenwriter, it felt like it wasn't just the dialogue being written poorly. It was almost like the beats and the tempo of the dialogue was like off so that the actor was actually having a hard time delivering the lines because he was trying to give it his own spin and his own spin felt weird for that line. Do you get what I'm saying? Like that's the distinct feeling that I
0: No, Yeah. So it's, it's the, it's the thing where, and you'll see, Jeff Goldblum and Christopher Walken do this, where they kind of like interrupt themselves mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. effect. Mm-hmm. It was like that, but in a defensive kind of maneuver yeah. where, you know, you look at it and you're like, I can't just say that. The only way that makes sense is if I'm really struggling to find the next word. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like nobody just says that. So I'm going to start to say it, stop, and then finish saying it, and maybe that'll make it work. Yeah, I cannot think of another time where I could physically
2: in real time, see the script getting in the way of the actor. Like, that's what it looked like to me. And I was just like, just let the guy do his thing. Like they, I imagine he didn't do too much improvisation with the lines because had they been more relaxed and let him do it, he probably would have delivered them better. So yeah, I think again, even the best actor in this film was kind of struggling with the script and that sticks out and you can see it.
0: Nobody tells Sidney J fury. What's what
1: that's right. Somebody probably should, though. So did I like it? I will say
2: Katie and Liam shit on this so hard in our text thread beforehand that I was kind of like prepared for the worst movie I had ever seen in my life. And this was admittedly not that. Like I said, there were some enjoyable scenes. The soundtrack is actually pretty good, I have to say. Uh, There's some queen in the soundtrack, there's like proud Mary's in here performed by Ike and Tina Turner twisted sister. sister. Yeah. Again, this soundtrack is a good representation of parts of this film that would have been pretty good for 1986, except that then top gun came out and top gun of all the things that you could, uh, nitpick top gun about most people, especially who were born and or lived through the eighties, Love the Top Gun soundtrack, and I am one of those people. I had that soundtrack on a cassette tape, and I wore that thing the fuck out in my Walkman, on my kneeboard, just the whole night.
0: <laughs> so. you
2: kneeboard. Also, the composer is Basil Polidorus, who famously also did Conan the Barbarian. So he has some good films under his belt, and while his score for this isn't particularly inspiring, there's some good music in this film. So, did I like it? Ah, uh, I mean, it's not a colonoscopy. Uh, I've had worse times watching a movie. And (laughs) again, for all the reasons I previously stated, this had a chance at being an okay movie. It's just they fell down on so much of the basic stuff that it's really difficult to enjoy outside of a few scenes with some action, with some music, with whatever. None of the characters are really all that memorable except for maybe Chappie's character. And none of the actors are very memorable, again, with the exception of him. So, yeah, kind of a swing and a miss, I think. Audience, just please do better. <clears throat> we had like Gone with the Wind on this poll. Which should... I also would have shit on, by the way. Run silent, run deep. I mean, that's besides the point. I, yeah, would, have, sure. I would
0: have laid into Gone with the
2: Wind too. Okay, fine, but I don't think. You... And one day I will. Yes, but Gone with the Wind is a better produced film than this film. Yes. Like, there are things to criticize, but not in terms of like how is it put together. So, yeah, the
1: film quality, how it
0: depicts certain people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into we'll get into trash. Also trash like Iron Eagle, right, but right. that's
2: not the point. My point is, please do better, audience. There was Run Silent, Run Deep, which has been on many polls and has always done well, but somehow this smoked everything on the list. I almost feel like maybe Mike D'Angelo made a bunch of bot accounts and opened new Facebook accounts just so he could come in and vote for this because it's got his fingerprints all over it, but I can't prove that. So please do better so that we don't have to be forced to watch such shitty movies. Liam, why don't you say some nice things about this and close us out?
0: So the objective of this movie is, you know, similar to what you guys were saying is to make money. They wanted a summer blockbuster Mm -hmm. in January, apparently. And I think one of the things that really grates on me about this movie is how it goes about trying to fulfill that objective by leaning into... The jingoistic militarism and toxic patriotism
1: mm, mm-hmm.
0: of the political right at the time. Ronnie Reagan. Oh my God. That <laughs> broke me. It broke me. Ronnie Reagan broke me. Mm-hmm. I had just figured out what they meant by we don't have Mr. Peanut anymore. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, are they talking about Jimmy Carter? And then immediately comes around with the right hook. like It was like a left jab and then a right hook of just like Mr. Peanut. And I'm like, wait, what did he mean by, oh, I get it. And then Ronnie Reagan, like right in the jaw. (laughs) And I was like, what the fuck? What? What? This is a script that was clearly butthurt. About the Iran hostage crisis, which was not good. Don't get me wrong. That is bad. But then you also take this, you take that kind of basic worldview, and then you add on to it that the government really isn't going to do anything. And not just like, not the government, but the civilian government isn't going to do the right thing and that the military would do something, but their hands are tied. Like, this is a song that we've heard before, and it's always bad. So then it's up to us, the, the, the righteous American population, and our righteous American children, to step up and do the things the, the adults don't want to do, <laughs> or are incapable of doing, because they're confined by the civilian government. I really don't like the place that this movie is coming from. And that's before I get into how this movie was made and the writing and the premise. This makes the karate kid look like citizen Kane. This movie is so fucking bad and it's objective. I think is coming from a place of, anger and resentment and, and sprained masculinity that it is now feeling the need to overcompensate for. And do I think it's on target? For me personally, no. It is not on target. However, if you look at the user comments on IMDB or the New York Times review... From the day that it came out glowing. This is, I'm pretty sure you said glowing, but it sounded like blowing, which is also (laughs) appropriate.
1: It was both at
0: once. I, I don't understand how this resonated and might still, I mean, it won our audience poll. I don't understand how this resonates with anybody. Maybe if you like fighter jet porn, this is like going back and seeing some vintage fighter jet porn. Kind of vintage F-16s are still in service to this. No, I understand. But I mean, more just like if you go back and watch like porn from the 70s and 80s, like it's still kind of the same, but also it's very different. It's not up to the modern standard is all I'm saying as far as like pornography goes. But this, you know, this is not going to be Top Gun Maverick. We've advanced beyond what this has. But if you're in, you're interested to be like, oh, I wonder what the cutting edge of fighter jet porn was in 1986 like the go ahead and watch this movie i guess the problem is that there's a premise that they overlay like it's not just like going to see the blue angels like you they put a plot on it and the plot is bad the plot is ludicrous i don't it's so very disappointing
1: (laughs) you sound like a grandma i'm so disappointed in you
0: i i i don't even i'm also mad i don't want to say i'm not mad because i am and i don't want to lie to anybody it is terrible it is terrible this movie so so i didn't like it (laughs) it's like did you like it no i didn't nope and i will never watch it again fair thank god even under duress i will not watch this movie again even if imprisoned in a
2: fictional Arab country's prison, In a billion prison, I will die.
0: If David Suchet has <laughs> me in a cell and he's like, watch this movie or we're killing you, I'm going to die that way.
1: What are we doing next?
2: So next, in a potentially predictable but also unique position for us to be in since we're not in the middle of a series right now, we decided that we should just go ahead and do Top Gun next for multiple reasons. Uh, Like we said, also 1986 famously came out after this. And so we decided it'd be a good idea to review it after this because the other way around would just be bad form. Coincidentally, because the sequel to Top Gun came out recently last year and did very well and many people loved it, our good friend Richard, who did the research for this episode, wrote us an entire proposal on coming on the show and being on an episode on Top Gun. And we don't usually have audience members as guests on the regular show. We usually reserve that for our Patreon. But Richard did such a good job writing up this proposal and clearly put so much thought and research into it that we said, what the hell, let's do it. So Richard is going to come on the show with us next. He did the research for Top Gun. And we're going to get to talk about that one next, which has, uh, you know, similar fighter jet porn premise to this. But I guess we can decide at the end of that episode whether we like that film better. It certainly has a kick ass <laughs> soundtrack, as I said. would be hard pressed to like it worse. I believe Katie's only seen it. W-
0: well, Liam's only seen it once. Katie's only seen it once. OK. Yep. And when I saw it, it was on VHS. So right. it's been a minute. This is one I grew up with I've
2: seen dozens of times as I imagine lots of our listeners are in that same position. And yeah, I had this soundtrack on cassette tape. So I'm very excited to talk about that one. So thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, We're still releasing on a slightly slower schedule right now as I'm planning a trip and we still have things going on and we're still trying to catch up, but uh, we are going to continue to put out episodes for you Uh, at least one danger close a month, as well as a danger close enough on our Patreon. If you want to listen to us talk about all kinds of other films that are somewhat slightly war related. I think the last pick was Katie's pick of the Beatles movie and animated movie, Yellow Submarine from 1968, which was a cool one. And her husband, Paul, joined us on that episode. So if you're interested in checking out uh, some different conversations in a similar format and where we let loose and have a good time and have other guests, go to dangerclosepod.com forward slash support and join our patrons only four bucks a month. And we've got a solid coming up on, I think, over 20 episodes in the bag in there. Thank you to Katie and Liam for joining me once again. Thank you guys for listening. And we will talk to you on the next one. Bye. Bye. I've always wanted to have not just like an 80s film themed party, but a specifically Terminator party at my house, where you just, you have to be one of the characters from the film, and I I'm gonna show up as Linda Hamilton's tits this,
1: this is your bachelor party
2: <laughs> right, I, I and I wanted to be the the garbage truck driver like, in, clearly, in my yes. my own ethnicity, etc but like, have the cigar, and wear the outfit because I've, I've always been I've always been intrigued by, like, you hear about this at Lebowski Fest where people wear the, like, really obscure character's outfit and the game is kind of, like, to try and guess who the fuck that is, right? So, like,
0: I always wanted to be the garbage truck driver from Germany.
1: You want to be Chino Fats Williams. That's that's who you want to be.
0: My hero. I'm going to be Michael Bean's ass. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. I can't, I can't make a costume look that good. <laughs>